websites under the control of tyrannical administrators. There was one man, a one-man army. He broke all the rules. He allowed his members to speak out, give their opinions, and make the website what it is today. Get ready for Greg Rempe and the Barbecue Central Show. Live from Cleveland, Ohio, it's the Barbecue Central Show. Oh, we're digging way back into the old Barbecue Central Show intros, and we're going highly illegal. Hopefully the great folks over at Rush and Rush's Entertainment aren't ready to sue the Barbecue Central Show. But I think people have forgotten this song, so Rush representatives, I'm doing you a favor. We're bringing this song back up into popularity. You'll see the fives and tens of download increases through the various audio streaming platforms like Spotify and other websites. Anyway, welcome to the last day of brand new but recorded content as we've been away here the last couple weeks. 11th and the 18th have seen all new content, all pre-recorded, and we're going to round out these two weeks of shows with a show regular, one of my favorite guests to talk live fire with. Somebody who's extremely knowledgeable on it because, hey, for all intents and purposes, she is a meat scientist. She's written cookbooks. And a quarterly guest right here on this show, Barbecue Central Show's guest Hall of Famer. That's Jess Pryles, of course. And that was one of the worst endings. The fade-out was horrible. I'm sorry. Here I was being so cautioned to the wind with blatant disregard on streaming and music rights. And I didn't even have the courtesy to fade it outright. Listeners, I apologize. Please, don't hold it against me. As we get ready to end it all here and get ready for the latest round of brand new shows, which will be back live on the 25th. So uh, in just under a week's time, we'll be back live at it in Bomb City, USA. And uh, we'll see what's happening then. I got some great interviews planned. So the, the one on the 25th, as we're coming back, is going to be incredible. If you've ever wanted to experience what it's like putting grill manufacturers and products in the biggest of the big box stores. You're going to want to tune in next Tuesday as Ken Johnson makes an appearance. He's the online buyer for a little place called Home Depot. Yeah. So whole different perspective, whole different interview than you've ever heard on this show with one of the biggest names in the retailing industry right now. So again, that'll be next Tuesday on the 25th. But Before we get to any of the new live shows, we'll hear Jess Pryles, our quarterly segment with her here in 2023, as she's done over the last couple years. So excited to catch up with her. Hope you enjoy that. Before we get to Jess, I'll talk to you quickly about the folks over at the Pit Barrel Cooker. 
We love the pit barrel cooker because it's easy to use. Takes a lot of the guesswork out of learning your fire. All you have to do is learn how to fire it up properly. Plenty of videos out there, both at pitbarrelcooker.com and across YouTube, which is the world's greatest search engine for guys like me. So you can choose from their smallest version, the Junior, or you can get that uh, flagship size of their first, uh, I don't the pit barrel cooker size. And then they have the pit barrel X or extra large, the PBX. Depending on whatever your side needs are now, not only side needs, but size needs. Why not buy all three and then you could use them to either have one of the biggest cooks ever as you're using them all at the same time, or you can just pick and choose which one you need given the right size party or event that you're cooking for. Hanging meat's fun. It's kind of majestic as to how it doesn't actually burn closer to the charcoal, but it doesn't. It's just a thermodynamic mystification. But it works, and the food is great. I know I had it July 4th when neighbor Desmond cooked me up some ribs. They were delicious. Pitbarrelcooker.com is the place to go to learn all about it. That's pitbarrelcooker.com. And we will hear from Jess Priles when we come back. Stick around. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookingPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. You visit CookingPellets.com to peruse their product portfolio. And then, when you're ready to purchase... Go to places like Amazon.com or Lowe's.com or Walmart.com where they also offer free shipping on top of the great Cook and Pellets products. Chris Becker and the gang over there at Cook and Pellets. My next guest is the CEO of the Hardcore Carnivore brand of products, a spokesperson for high-level brands. She once authored a cookbook and continues to pump out content and recipes through her namesake website. And, of course, a Barbecue Central Show's guest, Hall of Famer, welcoming back Jess Pryles for her quarterly visit. Are you ready to talk some live fire tonight? So ready. Hmm. Born ready. Maybe you weren't born ready to realize that JessPryles.com has made it... 10th on the top 10 most popular barbecue and grilling websites of 2023. How about that? Really? Not kidding. I, I was not aware of that. Well. That's, um, that is quite an honor. There's a lot of amazing content out there, and it is a fierce and formidable environment. So for, for a little old website that's been out there for quite some time, um, you know, it's not a bad effort. So... Is, is half of you pissed that HardcoreCarnivore.com didn't make it up on that website, or is that a whole different thing? That's like no, the products and you I are would, content on the namesake? I would guess that none of those websites are actually brand sites selling something. They're probably all like reference sites. Hmm. Am I right? Well, I'm glad you asked because I thought Thank it would you. be fun to play a little game called Have You Ever Heard of the Other Nine Websites? You want to play? Okay. All right, Let's here we it. go. Yep. Very simple. Yes or no. Number nine yep. is 
or whatever you do dot com. No. Number eight. Gimme some grilling dot com. No. Number seven. Food fire friends dot com. No. <laughs> Number whatever. It doesn't matter. Cats heads BBQ dot com. Oh, absolutely. No. <laughs> Number five. Amazing ribs dot com. Yes. Finally. <laughs> Number 10. We know halfway up the list. Then we know the next one. Number four, Vindulge.com. Yes. Yes, all right. I knew that one, too. Number three, OnlineGrill.com. No. Number two, SmokedBBQSource.com. Yes. I knew that one, too. I know the owner, Joe Clement. New Zealander, now Australian. Number one, for like the third year in a row, HeyGrillHey.com. Absolutely. So just to recap of the top 10, you are most familiar with JessPriles.com. It took all mm-hmm. the way to number five to know the next one that you were familiar with or <laughs> name name had heard of, AmazingRibs.com. And then Vindulge, yes. Smoked BBQ Source, yes. And Hey Grill, hey, did you know the OnlineGrill.com? I forget. I did not. No, no okay. yeah, I did so, not know that one. Some of, of them it. just sound like like someone just parked some really opportune URLs, you know? For the top five, we knew, but that bottom tier was a little strike. Uh, honestly, I knew six. Uh, I'm so proud to be in that bottom tier. I knew obviously. four. I knew four of all of those. So I knew Okay. I knew Susie's, I knew Smoked Barbecue Source, I knew Amazing Ribs, and then I knew Years. Everyone else was completely off the wall. Never heard of it. I was talking with Derek Riches about it. He's the one that put together the list. Do you know Derek? Uh, no. You don't know Derek Maybe. Riches? Like the uh, the longest running, most bristly barbecue journalist there is, DerekRiches.com? He lives in Austin. Uh, Moved cool. from Salt Lake City to Austin. Who does that? Yeah, we, uh, we hang out all the time. <laughs> Besties for Listen, the rest. Of let me. I need to be clear. I need to be clear here. Yes. It, it, it's my fault, not Derek's, that I live in a hermit lifestyle. Like I pretty much travel for work and then come home and hermit myself with my grills. And I'm a very like introverted extrovert. Hmm. So like I I love teaching classes and I love doing um doing uh my social media stuff and i love doing conferences and speeches and all that kind of stuff and it's great to interact with people who are fans but i and and people who aren't fans for that matter but it's i do not like just going to things and like making small talk it's very and it's not what I get excited about when I wake up in the mornings. Do you peruse? So it's probably my fault because I'm so anti like mingling <laughs> that I haven't gotten out there and met him. Do you peruse the internet landscape of live fire websites and stuff? Or you don't care about that either? No, I, it's not <laughs> that I don't care about it. It's that a while ago, because I've been doing this for so long and it's become very popular in recent years. Um, and I found that when I was too exposed to the noise of what sometimes competitors and sometimes contemporaries were doing, 
I would get lost instead of thinking of my original recipes. I would find myself sort of being too influenced by what I was seeing from other people. And so I try and be influenced like by eating at different restaurants when I, you know, and, and trying different foods and, um, and, and seeking out food experiences. But I really do feel like consuming the same media that everyone consumes stifles my creativity and that doesn't lend people like that doesn't help people who want to follow my recipes because i just i get bogged down in churning out the same stuff so derek puts together this list i believe this was the third year he's done it uh, somehow i missed last year we never even talked about it uh, he let me have it on that but um he's he has some mathematical equations specific weights to certain things he doesn't have access to Google Analytics for all these websites. That's obviously highly coveted by a lot of these webmasters and creators, things like this. However, he's able to put together some type of equation that allows him to be correlative to these websites' popularity as they relate to traffic getting driven to him. Did I use the right word or did I make a word up? No, I think you. I think I think you did. That's fine. All Let's right. just go with yes. Why not? It sounds well, that's almost exciting. correct. Do you know what? I feel like we have had this discussion before, and I'm excited that he's got a secret algorithm, and I'm stoked to be part of a list because it's better to be included than excluded. Um, and I'm not <laughs> trying to be rude or flippant to you know not knowing some of these people. It's just I just try and stay in my own lane. That's all. Recently, you were in New Zealand. You also were in Australia. Like how far? By plane is one to the other. <laughs> well, I wasn't one after the other. I had to come back to the US for four days and then go back again. So that was really something. If that was something stay, on the though, old body clock. If you got to stay, would you, if you got to stay in one to go to the other directly, is that like a, a two hour flight? Yeah, it's like three hours three to fly hours. from New Zealand to Australia. Hmm. Um, and it takes about anywhere from 12 to 16 hours to get from the US to either of those countries, depending on. Which direction you're flying, what kind of aircraft you're flying, and where exactly you're going. Hmm. Sounds like a gas. It's super fun. Go home, turn it's around four days later and do the, it again. Wow, we. Yeah, it's more fun when you're at the front of the plane, you know? It's more tolerable when you're at the front of the plane. Why? Because your seats are bigger. <laughs> yeah, but you're still in the plane. I mean, yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's, it's, kind it's, of movie. it's moderately better i guess i mean that's a long flight uh, unless you're i'm used like, to Gulf it Stream five. Uh, yeah. this is your life listen pal. australia is the most remote country in the world it's probably not the most remote country in the world perth is the most remote capital city in the world but to get anywhere the closest you know to get anywhere from australia you're getting on a pretty decent flight hmm. you know so we're used to really extending the whole long travel we've got really good deep vein thrombosis Knowledge on long aircrafts. <laughs> a lot of ankle pumps. Goes deep, yeah. So I don't have any idea what you're doing in New Zealand. And what I really want to know is this. If you're in New Zealand, what's New Zealand known for? Lamb. So lamb. Are, you, are you going to eat your share of lamb there? When you're, oh, I you ate, know, I you ate my time? body weight in lamb when I was there. I was there for a secret project that will come... More information will come out later in the year. But um, I did make it my business to eat a lot of lamb while I was there. A lot. You have a expertise in this field. Are you 
Would you say, in your opinion, that New Zealand has the best eating lamb in all the land? So that's a little contentious because Australia actually has more lamb per capita, but I, I will say this. I do prefer lamb that originates from Australia or New Zealand. It has a lambier flavor. Mm. So and that's also what I grew up eating. But I had this really cool lamb experience recently in New Zealand where usually the lambs that they'll use or the sheep breeds that they use to produce meat is most commonly a dorpa or for Americans, dorper. And so... <laughs> Thank you for the hard R. Yeah, sure. So the Dorper is like, it's good in an arid environment. It doesn't have as heavy of a wool on it and it has a milder meat. So that's what's predominantly used. But the most famous sheep breed, especially for wool, is Merino. So we've all heard of Merino wool, especially with like base layers and really good quality for, you know, insulation. Really, really thick, heavy coats. And they've started to produce Merino lamb meat, which is super cool. Mm. Um, it's nearly like the reverse of sort of using, you know, beef cows is to steak and dairy cows is to milk, but then you flip that around. So, um, I had the first, I, I had Merino lamb for the first time ever in New Zealand about four or five years ago. And it was like, it was incredible. And then the only other time that I had seen it was on the restaurant menu at Jose Andres steakhouse in Las Vegas. And it was also imported from New Zealand. Mm. And so when I went back, I sent out a bunch of emails to like beef and lamb suppliers and <laughs> just trying to track down because it's not that common to find. And I did eventually find it and I got to have it again. And it was this like lovely, rich, silky. I had lamb shoulder, slow cooked. So it was completely fall apart. They broke it apart at the table. It was very impressive. And if you're a lamb fan, that that should be something that you seek out. Someone's bringing it into the U.S. because Jose's getting it. So, so I, I'm a lamb fan, but let's say lamb novice at best. And I've had lamb, lamb chops, and they were great, but medium rare. And I haven't, mm -hmm. uh, not through uh, any type of, like, uh, I don't even know what to call it, but uh, like lamb chops seem to be readily available or rack of lamb seems to be readily available to me and most of the places I would get my meat from, but uh, and, and leg of lamb, but I've, I haven't had that. So the question that I'm trying to get to is uh, with rack of lamb or lamb chops, I'm medium rare. There's there's quite a familiar beefy relationship um, to that with some lamb-esque notes flavor when you took cook it higher does the flavor change altogether or you know when you're using that leg of lamb or you know something else um, is there a whole other flavor to it that isn't the same as a chop or a, a a rack i mean definitely it's you know i think it's 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 tough because it's a red meat but it's most equatable in terms of carcass size and using the cuts to to a pig so typically Lamb leg roasts are pretty common in Australia and New Zealand. And and generally, those are the two things you can get here in the US. You can get a leg roast and you can get um, those those chops or the, or the French racks. And usually, you'd cook a lamb leg 
too medium rare as well, the roast. So you try and nearly like a prime rib, like a real aggressive sort of oven sear on the outside, heat sear on the outside, lovely and medium rare on the inside. Um, the shoulder is incredible for smoking, just like a pork butt. So it's rippled with sort of more more tough, you know, tougher muscles because of where it's at, even though it's a lamb, so it's going to be over, overall more tender. But the flavor in it is incredible and it's got all of that um, – it's got all of that collagen in it that can convert to gelatin during the cook. It just gets really soft and tender. It does have a more pronounced lamby flavor. I think when you cook any red meat beyond medium rare, uh, you increase those sort of browned, warmed over flavors. Uh, and some people like that. So for some people, the medium rare is just because they're scared of the color. Uh, sorry, if they like it well done, it's because they're, they're, they have a mental block about pink meat. Um, for others, it's that they think it's a food safety thing. And for others still, they actually prefer the flavor and not just the texture. So, and that, that is because the flavor does develop into something nearly more gamey in some ways. Um, my favorite, the, the, the two other cuts, lamb belly is amazing. You can make lamb belly bacon and lamb racks or lamb breast. HEB here in Texas actually sells lamb breast segments. I cooked some up the other day. And they're phenomenal. They're little riblets that cook up in 20 minutes on the grill. And just that might be my favorite cut. Following your stories, there was this restaurant you go to called Esther in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And just from an aesthetic, wow. I mean, it's like very impressive. A lot of open fire, a lot of hanging stuff. And then you go on some meat tear uh, with you and whoever you're out there with, which of course, you know, we're in this business, so we're, we're supposed to do that stuff. The thing that stuck out to me the most that I wanted to ask you about was a 12 year old steak. So I think it's important to point out if I'm wrong, correct me. When we talk about uh, time and steak, I think a lot of people immediately assume our conversations about dry aging. This isn't a 12 year old dry aged steak. This is a 12 year old uh, piece of, like a 12-year-old cow that was then called and you're now eating that. Correct. Mm. So the animal was 12 years old at age of slaughter, whereas usually they're going to be somewhere in the realm of 18 months, 18 max, 24. Sometimes they push them all the way up, but there's also a consideration when they get over 30 months, um, uh, particularly they become more susceptible to BSE, which is mad cow. So that's the main reason there's the, the two main reasons that we sort of erred on the well, actually there's three or four, you can keep extrapolating them. But the main reasons that we slaughter younger and we've been pushing it a little bit is that hallmark of BSE, the meat gets tougher as it gets older. Um, and also, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a commodity. So you're not going to leave it on feed, which is going to cost you money if the payoff isn't that great. What's it like, 12-year-old meat? <laughs> so the idea was historically that they they would nearly call them cracker cows. So obviously you have cows used in dairy. You try and cycle them through as many years as you can. Also getting them pregnant, giving birth, that helps, you know, the, the, the industry. Um, and eventually they run out of milk and sometimes also – just like deer, if anyone's sort of avid hunters, they just will get to the age where their teeth wear down and they're just not living good quality of life anymore. And so at that point, they were just sort of historically sent to the slaughterhouse and turned into ground beef because they were just written off as being terribly 
uh, tough and undesirable. <laughs> and it was actually mainly European countries that started looking at it a bit differently, um, particularly in Spain. Definitely it's happening a lot in Sweden and um, uh, Denmark now too. <laughs> so there's a lot of like Danish dairy cattle mo- uh, uh, movement. And they started to realize that while it doesn't always happen, a certain percentage of these dairy cattle, which are known for their great marbling, they just have very, very small size steaks, um, actually sort of came out as these delicacies where they weren't tough, they were tender, and because they were so old, they had this incredible richness and intensity of flavor. (laughs) And so, you know, we talk about that I've had the opportunity probably five, six, seven times to eat sort of retired, they got retired dairy cattle or older, older steaks all over the world. And it is a really fun experience if you are, certainly if you're a meat eater, even if you're just someone who's into culinary and you just like exploring new flavors and new tastes, like the difference between a vinegar pickle and a fermented pickle, like, oh, getting nerdy about those, those little flavor differences. And it's like that. It's not, I, you know, I, I want to adjust people's expectations and not try and gatekeep because, oh, you'll never taste it, so I'll tell you it's the best thing you've ever had. <laughs> it's not like this, oh, it's like the beefiest beefsteak you've ever had. It's just a different flavor and it's a different eating experience. And it can be tougher still. It's still got some chew to it. It's like al dente, you know. It, it, <laughs> it is an older animal. It's not a filet, um, at least not the part that I had. Um and, and so if, if you're someone who just always orders fillets and nothing else, I wouldn't bother sort of chasing this down. But if you're someone who's curious about trying different breeds, different animals, different aging techniques, then it's just a natural progression. If you ever get to try it, you should. I think the only other time on the show's history that I've heard somebody talk about eating dairy cow is Mark Williams from Swine Life Barbecue, who will fill in from time to time when Malcolm Reed can't do his monthly segment. And maybe it's been a year ago, maybe even a little bit longer than that. He had just casually mentioned within the segment that he had had a dairy cow. He was spending time up at a pit manufacturer in either Illinois or Indiana, whoever it is, outlaw cookers. And somebody there has a line on dairy cow steaks. And two things stuck out to me. And you just mentioned one. One, sizably smaller steaks, which you've also confirmed. But two, and he didn't get into detail. Also, I didn't ask about age or anything like this, like you're talking about. But he said they were delicious. So much so that he was going to get me some of these, have me cook them up, and tell me if I thought he was correct or not. That hasn't happened yet. We're still trying that. But uh, twice, at least on the show, he has mentioned that the dairy cow is actually quite delicious and that if you have access to it, don't pass it up. Don't turn your nose up at it. Give it a try. Yeah. And as you point out, it, there's sort of two different things going on here. So one is dairy cattle, which is like, obviously, they're not intended for meat. So we just sort of discard them or, or disregard them rather. And then the other side of the co- coin is the age. So you would never let a meat or a beef cow go to 12 years because it's too risky, right? The only reason that the dairy cow does that is because she's had 12 years of milking, right? So one aspect of it is the fact that the animal is old. And then the other aspect of it is the dairy thing. So it's actually not that hard to get steaks from dairy animals, especially if you consider that the males are quite useless. Mm. So it's very smart of the industry in some ways to try and find a way to 
increase the value of the male, uh, the male dairy cattle. Um, because just in case any of your listeners haven't connected the dots yet, those are not the ones that you milk. Really? So really, truly. So, um, it, uh, part of me feels like it's a smart marketing play. Cause I have had younger, I've had some dairy cow steaks from Holsteins that have been just fine. They were quite tough actually. Um, because unlike the beef cattle, which we've been working on the genetics for in America for decades and decades to improve it, we've not been looking for palatability mm. traits in dairy cattle. We've been looking for milking traits in dairy cattle. So it's nearly like a bonus if you can get it. I nearly feel like it's like the gatekeeping thing that I mentioned before. Like it's like, oh man, you got to have this thing. You got to have this like $1,800 bottle of tequila. It's got like gold flakes and then Guy Fieri comes and rubs your neck afterwards. The fucking best, you know? Is that really a thing? Because you just sold me on that. I got $1,800 bucks <laughs> burning a hole in my pocket. I want Guy Fieri to rub my neck. No doubt. So let's uh, turn the page and go to some social media stuff that I've seen you share or talk about the first thing is this smash burger tacos you find these to be hijinks and tomfoolery no did you watch the whole video yeah i think you said they weren't tacos okay so it's not because of it's smash burger tacos the video in question so i for, for everyone in listener land I did what they call a stitch, which is where you play the beginning of someone else's video and then add your opinion to the end, the opinion that no one asked for. Um, in this case, it was someone who said, I want to try the viral Smashburger taco recipe, but I'm going to take it up a notch by using plant-based meat. Hmm. And so I, my contention was that nobody in the world has ever thought that the way to take tacos up a notch is by taking the actual meat out of them. So it was less about the actual taco and more about the use of plant-based meats. Are you not a fan of that plant-based meat? I'm not. Any reason? I'm not, a, I'm not actually a fan of any major ultra-processed food. Ah, okay. Well, that certainly says enough just in that statement there. This wasn't on my outline to ask you about, but I just saw a couple of days ago that the USDA has approved growing chicken and, and vats through cellular extraction. So you're not going to do the traditional way of growing chickens anymore. Um, you're just going to put some cells in something and it's going to grow inside a big vat and then you're going to have a big roll of chicken meat. You like that concept? Uh, I, I, I also am not a huge fan of lab cultured meats is what we call them. Why? There's, they have to be safe. Good for the environment. Um, no methane. It's not that it's necessarily good for the environment because there's other that, you know, for every one side of the coin, there's another. The main attraction for lab grown meats for people is actually just that an animal doesn't suffer, which is obviously the most appealing part because there's no slaughter involved. Oh. Uh, I don't, I, I the, the USDA is still quite a while away from landing lab grown chicken on your plate. They're just approving some of the processes at this stage. And currently um, projected at 20 bucks a pound, which is about uh, $17 more a pound than I want to pay for chicken. Right. So that's the other thing, the, the cost prohibitive nature of it as well. Like even with plant-based meats, I know that's something different, but they've said like to actually scale that operation to the size of what the current traditional agriculture actually feeds presents its own issues of mm -hmm. carbon neutrality 
and you know, I mean, you didn't want me to start talking about this. You know that I, it's like, <laughs> this is not exciting and fun, right? This is where things get very serious and boring, but you know, it, it, I think it all has, I think it all has its issues. The main thing with lab grown meats at the moment is that while I do trust science, um, I think that all science is best when it's challenged and proven and tested. And we haven't had an opportunity to do that yet. You had a recipe for brisket fat moisturizer on your Instagram? You really use sure that? Sure did. Yeah. Really? Sure do. Sure do. Doesn't yeah. it smell like beef? No, it doesn't. And it doesn't feel weird. It feels really oily when you start putting it on and then it just goes away to nothing. It's really cool. It's is really it, good for you. Is it better than uh, <laughs> oil of Olay or whatever other <laughs> brand of lotion that I don't use? It doesn't have any like niacinamide or hyaluronic acid or any of those things that will help with things like anti-aging. Yes. However, they do say that the structure of tallow is similar to our sebum in our skin, so it can actually provide a true moisturization. Hmm. And, and any which way, you're not doing anything else with that brisket fat, so make something fun with it. You do great content on Instagram. You do content on YouTube. Would you ever entertain the thought of doing a YouTube collaboration with one of these other big creators in the space? For example, uh, Max the Meat Nerd, Guga, Jeremy Yoder, maybe Chud. Has that ever been pitched to you, or have you thought about, <laughs> hey, that would be fun, I should look into... Uh, wrangling up a collab with one of these folks? I think part, you know, for the exact same reason that I mentioned that I'm just this weird introvert, I, I just stay out of, I'm not, I'm not in the cool kids club and I don't go to the cool kids parties. So that's generally how you network this stuff. Um, Max and I have traded a bunch of different info when he was starting out, he would come to me for a lot of like confirmation and information. And so it was really cool to be able to be part of his journey um, and actually I have been on Chud's channel cause Brad lives here oh, in Austin and yeah, he's right. a hell of a dude. Uh, he did something where I ended up like pretending to be on a phone call to him and he cut it into the video. So technically we've kind of done a collab, <laughs> but you don't, you don't have any interest in showing up to Florida and doing some nonsense, uh, ketchup dry age steak with the uh, Google or anything like that. Oh yeah. The, I, you know, I just, I, that's not really my place of interest. And if I was going to do it, it would just be sort of a disingenuous mm. thing to try and get more viewers by reaching someone else's audience. And right. I, that's just life's too short. You know, like I, I want to take trips that I enjoy, even if they're work trips and, and everything has to be sort of, everything has to be done for a reason. Everyone is busy, whether they're me or you or anyone else. And we all sort of value our time. So for me, my time wouldn't be best spent. I don't think going to Florida, not that I've ever been invited. Let's not forget, sure. but um, it's just, it's not my bag. And, and it, you know, I don't want to speak ill of anyone because everyone has a different lane, but I have always stayed out of an area of entertainment cooking. Um, I want my content to have use and purpose. Like, yeah, sometimes it's funny and fun, but as far as the recipes are concerned, I make sure they work. I test them. I want them to be functionally usable for people, not just like, watch me glue this cow onto this pig and deep fry it kind of thing. That's just not my lane, but like, I think it's cool that other people are doing good thing in that space. It's just not for me. Are you available for hire? In other words, outside of the 
uh, spokesperson stuff or, you know, contracts you would have with brands, uh, would you do a private event approached? I do a lot of demos and speaking engagements, especially within the meat industry itself. Um, next month I'll be in Denver because I'm on the board of the women's meat industry network and we have a board meeting and that's full of like some really awesome, powerful women. One thing that I found and why I don't like what are effectively catering gigs and being very candid with you, Greg, but often you can be treated as the help. So you're hired there to be, you know, you're hired to be there to feed people at the end of the day. And I like people sharing my recipes. I like people, you know, I like sharing my knowledge with people. I have done cooking events. You know, that's what we did at this Vivid Festival. I was just in in Sydney. We did samples for the crowd or Beef Week in Australia. We cooked, I don't know, 300 tri-tip or something like that. Like, obviously, I cook for people live. It's not It's not just all a scam. But the private cooking gigs are tough because they sort of look at you as like the help. Hmm. And that's, I'm not really about going to someone's house to cook for them. Am I making sense or am I just sounding like a twat? A what? It's a British thing. <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever said that word on the really? show ever. No. But you know that word. <laughs> and certainly not like that. If we're going to say it, we're going to American up. How would you say it? Twat. Not twat. 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 <laughs> You're trying. Could you please check the Google searches tomorrow for a trend in people searching what does twat mean? Yeah, and I could tell you the word we use around this house, but nobody wants to hear that. But we're bringing it back. Whether anybody likes it or not, we're bringing it back here in this house. Here's what I think. You seem to operate under a very strict and regimented ethics, morals, and if the offer doesn't fall within these things that you hold firm, you are very worried about how that's going to potentially look to other folks or how you might look at it two days later. Go, you know, I shouldn't have done that. But where other folks would be like, man, you know, I'm going to go in. They're going to pay me X amount. I'm going to cook and do what I do best. And if they treat me like I'm the help, you know, F you, I took your money and uh, maybe I get another gig from somebody else that was there and then I'll do it again. Yes. The ethics and morals thing is something that like has always just been important to me and I just seem to function by. Fortunately slash unfortunately, one thing you can rely on me for is honesty. <laughs> what, do, what do you have coming yeah. up before we get to the close of the segment here? Yes? Well, technically it happened yesterday, but I feel like this could be a Barbecue Central exclusive. Oh my God. And- a Barbecue Central oh show exclusive yeah. news update. Yeah. Greg Rampe reporting from the breaking news desk here in Cleveland, Ohio, the city that makes most live fire breaking news across the nation. Nay, the globe. And we go to Austin, Texas, where Jess Priles is filing this report. Good evening, listeners from Austin, Texas. It's Jess Priles. I am really excited to share that officially yesterday we launched Hardcore Carnivore Smoked Sausages at H-E-B grocery stores Whoa, no way. Oh, Yay! Great. We have four different flavors. We've got a beef brisket, a prime rib that has actual prime rib in it, uh, Tex-Mex, and jalapeno cheddar because uh, ofs. And, uh, yeah, they're exclusive to H-E-B, so I know a lot of your listeners are not in Texas, but the good news is when you come visit us, you can pick up a pack. Brisket sausage? Mm-hmm. Is this akin to hot guts? Yeah, so it's a beef sausage that has actual brisket meat in it as well. 
and um, it's got a coarse grind, big black pepper presence, and yeah, they're all they're all real hardwood smoked as well. Tex Mex. Tex Mex is exactly like our seasoning because it has our seasoning in it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's got that sort of taco slash fajita flavor to it. <laughs> so the most common way to eat a smoked sausage in Texas, which I didn't know until like last year, which is shocking to me, is called a sausage wrap. Have you heard of this? No. It's literally wrapping a smoked sausage in a tortilla, and apparently that is the most common way of eating a sausage, smoked sausage in Texas. I know, but there it is. But I think the Tex-Mex sausage is pretty much built for that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it fits right in there. So how does this deal come mm-hmm. together? H-E-B come to you and say, let's put a product together? I've been working with them for a while yeah. uh, on the marketing side of things, like creating videos for them, and they stock hardcore carnivore seasoning. And you eventually start meeting different buyers here and there. And like, I know all of the meat team now and they're all good guys. And I see them at the meat nerd conferences that I go to. I don't even truly remember the nucleus of it, but I sort of just started talking to a buyer and, and, you know, shits and giggles. I think I might've said, Hey, well, you know, we can, we can do an exclusive for you as well. Yeah, sure. Right. And he's like, Oh, well, if it's exclusive, we should talk. And here we are. Who's, who's making a sausage? Uh, we have a manufacturer up in North Texas that's doing it for us. Tim McKeska? It is not Tim McKeska, <laughs> but it is. Uh, it has to be in someone who, who is a registered establishment with the USDA. Pitmaster so Ramon? Being paid. Huh? Pitmaster Ramon? Remember him from Subway <laughs> back in the day? <laughs> Sadler's or whatever the hell that uh, barbecue place. That, yeah, that was Sadler's in, in, Hen- in Henderson, right? They're the biggest supplier to Arby's. And when Arby's introduced, yeah. you, you remember that, right? When Arby's oh, yeah. introduced the brisket sandwich and single-handedly raised the price of brisket across the United States. Yeah. Thanks, Arby's. Yeah, thanks, Pitmaster Now, no Ramon. one has the meats. Arby's, we don't have the meats. How many stores is this? So, AGB have about 400 stores. This one will be in about... 271, I think. More than half? More than half. How about that? So can you get into all of them at some point? Is this like the the test stores and then if it reaches the benchmark, you get it No, this is where the availability is. So because there's such a big chain and there's such a big diversity across Texas, there are certain, like, so for example, the valley, the Rio Grande Valley, which is what we call the area that's right on the border with Mexico. They are so diehard on certain brands, especially like, Tejano, Mexican brands, you know, chorizo that's made right there in Edinburgh. There's probably no point in trying to introduce it to them because that market is just so like so in its place. And then some of the smaller store, some of the stores are smaller stores as well, sort of much more regional stores. So um, those are the ones that we're not in. Are you under but contract? Let's be excited about the ones that we are. Oh, in. no kidding! I mean, that's an incredible. Almost 300 stores. Are you under? Uh, is this like under a contract? So in like three years, you got to reevaluate or just ongoing and who knows how long it goes yeah it's uh, it's ongoing we it's definitely not a one and done we've got you know we we we, we got a lot of plans where we're in this for a while hmm. everybody talks Appreciate about it. you know getting rubs and sauces like the, the the way to really elevate the top line revenue is to get into brick and mortar stores and get distribution and stuff like that so heb down there is that's akin to the giant eagle up here or price chopper in the, the northeast part of the country and in the west, I think, too. So I hear them often huge. referred to alongside Publix. And yeah, I, I Publix believe and that Florida. they're quite beloved across the south, the southwest, the yeah. southeast, sorry. And, you know, H-E-B is 
they have historically been there for Texans, like after hurricanes, they're involved in sports, they're involved in school programs, they're still privately owned. And they're just, they, they, they have this uh, competition called Best Quest for Texas Best, where like anyone who has a Texas product can have a go at it. So even mom and pop things can really get up there and, and have a crack. So they really are an extraordinary uh, company and very, very beloved by Texans. <laughs> so that's a big consideration to it's not just like oh i got into this store that has several locations there's a there's a sort of sense of pride with it as well because of who it is yeah and you've had tie-ins as you said for a number of years with heb so great to make those relationships be able to expand the business good for the uh does this fall under the hardcore carnivore business or is yes so it's hardcore carnivore it's hardcore carnivore real hardwood smoked sausage Hmm. you want to play a game you know it. Great. You know it. For anybody that's new, this is called the What Song is Better game. And we only play it with Jess Priles when she's on here every <laughs> quarter. Lucky her. I'm coming in off a win, right? Yeah, coming in off a win. Yep. But before we find out what tonight's question is, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Hi, I'm Jess, originally from Australia, now living in Austin, Texas. Bit of a meat nerd, technically a meat scientist, and I'm here to win. You can find my website at jessprowse.com and my products at hardcorecarnival.com. Two wins makes a win streak. So let's see if we can't get on the streak. Just between these two songs, which is the better silver chair song? I knew you were going (laughs) to... Freak or tomorrow? Which is the better silver chair? Tomorrow. Final answer? 100%. Freak was later and it was boring. Right. Final answer. Tomorrow. Between these two silver chair songs, which is better? Yes. Look at you. You are on a win streak. Tomorrow is, of course, the better song between the two. You were trying You're to figure me out. Difficult. You were trying to figure me out. Well, look, I mean, when Spotify, when I have my Spotify running, I have both Freak and Tomorrow in my Barbecue Central Show's Ultra Mix playlist. Do you like Freak? Yeah, I love Freak. Huh. Okay. Do you remember the video clip for it? No. I'm, oh, a, I'm a silver chair adopter of maybe two years ago, maybe three years. Uh, ago. You like should a, look up the video. Certainly, It'll well familiar with. No, I don't want to. I want to ruin it. So. I want to ruin it for you. <laughs> we I haven't even done Guns N' Roses yet. Oh, we got time for that. I mean, that's like the okay. one of the best rock groups ever. So, okay, that, and that'll okay, cool, be cool, that'll cool, be cool. a tough one. Do we, we like uh, Guns N' Roses touring live? We think that's good. No, you're, no, I don't. You're right. <laughs> three in a row. How about that? Yeah, sometimes you got to hang it up, I think. That's what I, I don't know. Amen. Look, Jess Pryles is here. If you have a desire for recipes, JessPryles.com is the website to go. If you have a desire for rubs and other accoutrements, HardcoreCarnivore.com and the recently announced uh, Hardcore Carnivore brand of sausages going into almost 300 HEB stores in the great state of Texas. So if you live there or you're going to visit there, just another reason to go to the HEB stores. And you can see her right here each quarter. It's Jess Pryles. Just always appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Always have fun. Thank you. That's Jess Pryles. 
Once again, the website is justpriles.com for all the recipe information. If you want the gear, the rubs, the sauce, hardcorecarnivore.com. And we'll look for her again in about three months' time. Hey, what do we love about ceramic cookers? We love that they're fuel efficient. We love that you can achieve low and slow temperatures for traditional barbecue meats. We love that you can get rip-roaring hot for the high-temperature grilling of steaks and other thin cuts. But what's missing in the everyday lineup of ceramic cookers? The real ability to do true two-zone cooking. Two-zone cooking is important to both professional and backyard cooks alike. It's the best way to manage a fire and cook with confidence. However, getting a two-zone fire in a round ceramic cooker isn't very realistic. Why? Because it's round. And a Primo grill and the game-changing oval design, the shape gives you the ability to execute a two-zone setup that you desire. It also gives you the other ceramic grill benefits as well. When you break it down, there's more than 60 different ways to cook on the Primo. They have the accessories, the Primo grill rotisserie, the Primo grill pizza accessory. They have the flat top insert. They have the new automatic pit temperature control device that's recently been released. Only sold through dealers, so find one near you. Primogrill.com. Locate the dealer, visit them, see which oval fits you best because there are multiple sizes. And then go home with the one that is best for you. Pick up the accessories while you're there because you know they're going to have them. Again, it's Primogrill.com. That's Primogrill.com. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram. We'll be back right after this. Stick around. Well, that's going to put a wrap on the last two weeks of pre-recorded shows. We'll be back with new live stuff next week on the 25th, as I had mentioned in the beginning part of this. The buyer for online at Home Depot is promised to show up here on the 25th, so we'll make sure to see if that happens or not. If he reschedules, I mean, we'll get him back. He's already committed. He wants to do it. This is going to be fun. Uh, we thank Wes Wright from cookoutnews.com for joining us. And we thank Jess Pryle from JessPryles.com and HardcoreCarnivore.com for joining us as well as we round out these pre-recorded shows. So how do I always leave you? September 11th, 2001. I will never forget until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. This is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now. This is Chris Payne from Euclid, Ohio, and you are listening to Barbecue Central.